welcome to the City Rev Life Podcast. I'm sitting here with Pastor Roby, and my name is Pastor Justin, and uh, we're glad that you're here for this bonus episode yes. of the City Rev Life Podcast. Yes. yes. Bonus. In it, what way is it going to be a bonus, Pastor Well, Roby? I'm so glad you asked, Pastor Justin. Um, it's, a, it's a bonus in that this is not part of a podcast series, but right. actually a bonus from um, just a little bit more information, going a little deeper from the message this past Sunday. Um, we didn't have space to talk about all these things, but there's some important things that we want to add to the discussion. And yeah. so we're we're uh, releasing it um, this week. Yeah. And so here we are at the time of recording. It's January 2023, in case some future person yes. out there is watching this later. They found it in a time capsule Yes, <laughs> 50 right. years from now. YouTube is a time capsule in some It way. is. That is uh, true. But uh, yeah, we, we were in this series, Faith and Logic. And just this past Sunday, we had uh, a great time of Bible study exploring how did Jesus treat women mm-hmm. and um, how is it that Jesus um, called his followers mm-hmm. to um, see his example and treat women? And how was that different and really a scandal to the way that women were treated in his day? Right. And uh, so for our purposes, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. And yeah. uh, But maybe can you just recap a little bit from that message that's foundational to what we're about to talk about? Well, sure. And so I uh, let me, let's, it's a good setup, Justin, and I think maybe just, uh, for us to, before we get into this, to take a step back. Um, if we're going to look and see what, and be conformed to what the Bible says about various things in our life, mm-hmm. one of the most sensitive parts of that is our, uh, our, the things of our identity. So when we're talking about as men, as women, what does it mean to see who we are as men and women by what God says? Now we spend some time, and that may be a question in and of itself, that um, someone listening may question like, well, maybe I define that for myself. And we've actually spent quite a bit of time talking about that in our Faith and Logic Volume 4 series as to why um, discerning truth by looking inward is actually illogical. And we spent some time on this podcast elsewhere talking about that as well. So uh, we're starting with that premise and want to encourage you to go back and listen to part one and part two of Faith and Logic uh, Volume 4. So, but if we're going to look at the scripture to see what it says about femininity and masculinity, the challenge is, and just to be very blunt about it, the, the way that our generation talks about the scripture and sees the scripture is that it is oppressive specifically to women. Yeah. And so it, to say, hey, let's look at what the, how the Bible defines men and women that already is triggering. And I think there is good reason why that's triggering. And just to be, again, very straightforward, I think a lot of the passages in the Bible that were meant to be life-giving, redemptive, and empowering Mm -hmm. have been weaponized, and that many women, I think, have been Mm -hmm. um, spiritually, in a sense, spiritually abused or spiritually oppressed or even manipulated, Mm -hmm. whether in the context of a family or in the context of their church, by by what scripture has uh, allegedly said about who they are and what their role is. And right. So we're looking in and seeing what does the scripture actually say and our starting place to kind of get like, okay, let's get a reset. Um, let's not take what the culture says the Bible says and mm. what maybe tradition says the Bible says. We just want what God says in the Bible. What does the Bible yeah. say? Yeah. So let's reset that. And we did that by looking at what was Jesus' relationship to women. And like you said, Justin, what we find is Jesus is scandalously empowering 
to women around him. He had a larger group of, he had the 12 apostles within a larger group of disciples. And then he had a group of, of lady disciples like Mary Magdalene and uh, Joanna and others that had very significant roles yeah. and were given incredible uh, parts of the story. Um, and so we, we talked about that, celebrated that. And we see that Jesus was, was very empowering to women around him in a way that to Jewish, Roman, and Greek culture was unheard of. Yeah. And, and so oftentimes, you know, people have these obstacles or things they have against Christianity, mm-hmm. things they have against the Bible, and they'll share those that maybe they'll see something on a meme on the internet yeah. and uh, use it to criticize Christianity. And, and what we're trying to do is, okay, let's look and see Right. What is it that the scripture actually teaches and says? And see it set against the cultural context of the day. So maybe give us a little bit of some cultural background um, to some of the early Christian writings. Like, what is the culture that Jesus and Paul were engaging specifically? Yeah, and so I, I think that's exactly that's the great segue, because that's right where we want to go. Um, because let's say someone was listening to the, the message this past Sunday, yeah. and they say, Oh, that's great that Jesus was empowering <laughs> to women, but I'm not so sure the rest of the New Testament is empowering to women. There's some things in there that make me nervous. Right. And so, uh, again, let's kind of um, let's see them set in context. And I think there's things we miss over that are incredible mm-hmm. in how they're they're liberating. And so, um, specifically, we're going to deal with Paul. We could talk. There's other passages that we could talk about, and and uh, maybe in the future we'll dig into. But let's just speak with uh, some passages that Paul wrote, for example. Um, but before we do that, let's give the, the three major cultural contexts, which would be Jewish, Greek, and Roman. Mm-hmm. And so here's a little bit on just uh, the Jewish culture. So this is one um, scholar and describes the, law, the Jewish laws of the day. Again, this is not talking about Torah specifically. Mm-hmm. There were so many interpretations and things like the Midrash and Talmud about the Torah so this is, think of Jewish culture, cultural law, not necessarily Old Testament law. But here's how, it's, here's how one historian described Jewish law. It says, in Jewish law, a woman was not a person but a thing. She had no legal rights whatsoever. She was absolutely in her husband's possession to do with as he willed. Wow. And so in Jewish culture, it's hard to even, uh, frankly... It's hard to read that. It's hard to even read that. And um, again, that is not describing... Um, biblical culture. That's not all Jewish culture. This was the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, mm. and uh, to describe that the the woman had very little rights. And you see that in the scripture, like you see that not being proposed. You see that as the cultural context of some stories. You see it or playing you, out. Yeah, you yeah. see it playing out. While, like wow, they are treating the Pharisees in particular, the woman caught in adultery. They're treating her like a thing right. to be paraded and made a spectacle of. Yeah. She's uh, caught in adultery, but the person she was caught with is not brought forward. She's brought forward. Right. And then there's a, all this discussion. As a puppet in their political, yeah. you know, religious she, game. They're playing. Yeah, she's not, There, there's no um, honoring of her as a as a daughter of God made in his image. Um, there's the whole discussion about divorce and kind of the culture of the day as a man could, you know, there's Jewish ancient Jewish writings where, a man could divorce his wife if he didn't like what she cooked for dinner. You know, like it, it was, you know, there was, there were, and then uh, because of uh, the culture, that woman, um, you know, it's not like she's going to go start a company or get a job. She was often left destitute in yeah. that space. And so that's the Jewish culture uh, of the day, of that day, that generation. Mm. Um, Greek culture 
in some spaces, now there's a wide variety of Greek culture, different city-states like Athens by would be more uh, more restrictive and oppressive to women than, say, Sparta in ancient Greek. So there's a wide range, but by and large, there are some, it was probably worse than in Jewish society in some of those spaces. Let me just read, um, this is a quote from Aristotle. This is the ancient Greek thinker. And you can see, obviously, one of the key thinkers in uh, shaping their culture. Shaping their culture. Yeah. And here's what he said. Again, this is just honestly hard to even read. But this is, um, this is what he said. He said, females are a kind of mutilated male. Mm. Females are imperfect males accidentally produced by a father's inadequacy. I, you know, you have a daughter, mm. a beautiful little girl, Justin. I have two beautiful little girls and it's just they are some of the most wonderful parts of my life i mean the greatest you know my children my son and my two daughters Mm. are just some of the joys of my life i mean just to read that it is i mean it's angering satanic yeah it's dark Mm -hmm. um that's what uh to oppress a woman to oppress women to see something as less than um, dehumanizing. to dehumanize a woman in any of its capacity is satanic. That is the agenda of the devil is to take the glorious status of humans made in the image of God, both men and women made in the image of God is right there in Genesis one and to perpetually find ways to gr- degrade humans as less than that yeah. is one of the key agendas of the enemy. So anytime we see anyone, but in, in our context today, anytime we see a woman that is um, brought as less than a man or less than being in the image of God, it is satanic. Um, Another historian, Plutarch, uh, reports that women are so sheltered in Greek society that some have born two or three children without ever seeing their husbands during the day. And so the idea here is that in ancient Greek culture, it was uh, very oppressive to women. Now, I'm setting this as a backdrop to show how uh, again powerfully scandalous Mm. paul is and how he empowers women um but let's hit one more context roman context now they were generally less restrictive in that generation than um, the greeks but uh still um you can read ancient roman law and you can see that's still very restrictive Um, in the roman culture married women are considered like the husband's daughter even by first century, most Roman women are not allowed to represent themselves in court. Only women with particular number of children were allowed to, and also women that were considered independent. Now, it's important to note, part of the reason why married women are considered like their husband's daughter is because um, a lot of Roman women, it was the custom was that they were um, er- eligible for marriage by the age of 12. So a child bride is a common practice in Rome, which mm. is, I mean, uh, you know, hard thing to think about culturally mm-hmm. that women, that girls before even puberty, some yeah. of them are being given away in marriage. And to talk about how does that, how, how is there going to be a, an equality within that marriage mm-hmm. with children, um, girls being given yeah. away, preteen girls being given away in marriage. Yeah. Um, so that is that is the context. With that said, okay, let's now see 
how empowering some of the words of Paul are mm-hmm. to, to within the, these contexts. Uh, but, but they're hard to read. Yeah. They're yeah. hard to read. Yeah, those, that cultural backdrop helps us now to be able to see, okay, when Paul is writing these letters to the churches and these New Testament churches are bearing witness to the gospel in these cities, living as a, a city on a hill, as a counterculture to that right. particular location. What is it? What does it look like then as, you know, the the truth of these uh, of the scripture starts to drop in these locations? And so maybe walk us through some of the passages that Paul um, that Paul writes specifically to this that are instructive for us. Yeah. So let me read First uh, Corinthians seven, four. I think this is a passage that we just kind of read over. And as moderns, the power of it in its ancient context, we miss. We don't miss how empowering this would have been. So here's what it says. First Corinthians 7, 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That would have been unheard of. Yeah. It, the first sentence, very non-controversial yeah, for his day. Right. The The first sentence, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but her husband has authority over Nodding her Nodding heads. Like, yeah. that would, <laughs> like that would have been like, well, of course, that to Greek, Roman, and Jewish listeners. The sky that, is blue. Yes, that was understood. That, But then the second part, likewise, the mm-hmm. husband does not have authority over his body. His wife does. That would have been like, they would have not had a framework yeah. For that kind of um, mutual relationship within a husband, uh, with a husband and a wife, and that's what Paul is really doing is he's give, he's he's putting maybe through a different lens or using different language to describe what Genesis one and two, <laughs> absolutely of a, a man and woman becoming one flesh, becoming, becoming one. one together. Uh, absolutely, but it means that you know the the body of the wife belongs to the husband, the body of the husband belongs to the wife. Right, that is God's original vision. Yes, what he wants. Absolutely. And um, many commentators throughout history uh, for, for more than a thousand years have noted that God took spe- a specific part of Adam's body when he, uh, according to Genesis 2, when he made Eve, uh, he took a rib. And commentators have noted, again, for millennia, that the rib comes from his side. Mm. It's not from his foot that he stands over her. Yeah. It's not from his head that she rules over him, but it's at his side because they are shoulder to shoulder. Um, one commentator, Matthew Henry, takes it uh, even further, says she's uh, under his arm, close to his heart. They are working together, but he, but she is uh, close to his heart, and he's, um, mm-hmm. and and there, there's this loving, wonderful, protective relationship that they have together. But yeah. they're, but they're, they're, they're working shoulder to shoulder, um, and that kind of plays into this next one. Why don't you read First Corinthians eleven, eleven sure. and twelve? So First Corinthians eleven, uh, verse eleven. Nevertheless, in the Lord, uh, a woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. All things are from God. I, I love this because um, what Paul is saying is um, woman. a woman was made out of a man. So Eve, a part of Adam was taken to make Eve. And so in that sense, Eve is made from man. But then he adds, and by the way, Ever since then, every man that came about came from a woman, came born of a yeah. woman. And so he's talking about, and then all things are from God. And so these are these types of things would have been scandalous. They yeah. would have been shocking. They would have mm-hmm. been, 
uh, unbelievably empowering to the women that are hearing this. They yeah. would have been there. That would have made the church operate significantly different than the o- oppressive culture mm-hmm. of their day. Very empowering. And you see that. Um, take a look at Romans 16. Um, sometime if you're, if you're listening to this or watching this podcast, take a look at Romans 16. He has a long list of leaders in the church mm-hmm. and, um, he calls them servants or deacons that the leaders in church in the church are servants and deacons because that's Jesus's concept of leadership is you're the lead servant. And so he describes them and, and here's how he, he starts off. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Bre- greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Three names listed right off the bat, and there's several others, over a, a dozen or two other names, many men and many women listed as leaders and servants. Mm-hmm. And in just this brief opening, you have two women, uh, Phoebe mm-hmm. and Prisca, or Priscilla, and uh, Priscilla's husband, Aquila. They're always listed together, uh, almost always listed uh, together. And you have these two women celebrated as key leaders along with Aquila as a key leader. And so mm-hmm. that is how the church operated. There were men and women serving in high capacity in their churches. Yes. And this was again unheard of in the Greek in the Greek and Roman world. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And um you were sharing with me before we even got on some of the historical work of just so so if you could think of to go back to your example of Aristotle the beliefs that undergirded some of that Greek philosophy bore out in actions that oppressed women and demeaned yes. women. Uh, so as these beliefs about what it means for men and women to belong to one another, uh, as Paul says, and uh, to be dependent on, interdependent on each other um, in this way, as this truth dropped and started to be lived out, what did it look like the first few centuries of the yep. movement, uh, the Jesus movement? What did it look like in the early church? Yep. So um, Rodney Stark is a historian um, that recently in the last uh, couple decades has done some incredible work on how did the church, the rapid rise of the, of the Christian church, and it's um, well regarded and fascinating. And he spends an entire chapter talking about how the church's perspective on women was a key reason that the church, uh, the early church grew. Mm-hmm. And that's not, they didn't use that to grow. That wasn't right. in their minds. It was things like these statements from Jesus and from Paul and others that were unheard of mm. that made, that caused women to flock to Christianity. And you see that in the first couple of generations, you see women flocking to Christianity mm-hmm. in ways that, even the the, the um, historians of the day and the people who are looking at it of the day, they it's it's a mystery to them why women were flocking, and it's because of how empowered they were. And there's several cultural reasons mm-hmm. why they were empowered. Women were so empowered in Christianity was um, for starters, Christianity promoted abstinence, yeah. whereas the other cultures of the day only promoted abstinence for women. Yeah. Women were told to be abstinent. Men were not told to be abstinent. It was understood that they would not be abstinent, and that was not even a thought. Whereas Christianity came in and said, no, men and women are both called to be abstinent. And that was new. And so that turned out to protect women. Um, The second thing was, um, we already spoke about this a little bit, 
um, in Greek and Roman culture, that it was common to have child brides, women given away at ages 11, 12. Whereas in the, in the early Christian church, you see it was much, they were um, by and large much older and even had um, more of a role in um, selecting a, a spouse. Um, we already talked about they were held in higher roles within mm-hmm. the church than they were in other religions. And then one other thing, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this, is that um, the rampant abortion and infanticide, which is abortion is killing a child uh, before they're born, obviously. Infanticide is killing a child after they're born. That was so accepted and rampant in Greek and Roman societies. And the problem with that is that that resulted in the vast elimination of women. Mm. So in our cultures today, to give kind of a framework, if you have um, 100, female, uh, 100 female births, and, or let me put it differently, for every like, uh, let's say 110 male births, you have 100 female births, that shows sociologists that there's tampering there and that people are aborting little girls. And that is an issue in some cultures today. That's significant enough of a discrepancy. Significant enough of a discrepancy. I mean, even if it was like 105 or 104 for every 100 uh, girls. Given a large enough population size, it bears out. It's very close to yes. 50. Yes, and so, so, so modern, yeah, sociologists look at cultures where those are the rates, like maybe 110 to 100, as significant problems and that there's going to be an abs and that um, baby girls are being targeted and that is a common issue in today that is very alarming. Here's the ancient stats. The ratio was around 140 males mm. to 100 females. Wow. That is how much there were there to give an, a, a description. There's a, an ancient Greek city called Delphi and they found um, like a whole generation of like 600 families and they did not find a single family that had raised more than one little girl. Mm. So what would happen is they would uh, a little girl would be born and it was just commonplace that they would um, leave the 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 baby girl to be exposed and just killed. I mean they just leave the baby out in a field, mm-hmm. yeah, to be killed. It's horrifying. And there was um, their their ancient writers were writing about the absence of fe- women in their population as a problem. And yeah. uh, what was happening is. Um, infanticide was eliminating women and forced abortion. And I, I'm not going to, I can't bring myself to describe the ancient ways they would do abortion, but there are absolutely the thing of horror movies. I mean, it is terrible. And women were being forced to have, uh, abortions and often that resulted in the maiming or destroying of that woman. And I mean, there's famous examples that even an emperor, uh, diminishing, he um, he impregnated his niece Julia, required her to have an abortion, and she died. Mm. I mean, there's famous examples of this. Christianity standing against abortion and infanticide categorically drew women not only so that mm. not only that more women were born in those communities, but also um, women were not being forced to do terrible things to their to their bodies. And so, um, one last thought on this is just. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus and the Bible to empower women and to stand against any time mm. a woman is oppressed. Yeah. That doesn't mean that means that we look for those things and there are things both tangible and intangible. Things like mm. wage discrimination. That's a terrible thing that we need to stand against. Um 
traditions in a home or in a church that are not empowering to women. We need to stand against those things. But what's ironic is many of the things in modern feminism go absolutely directly against this. Um, things like abstinence for men and women, historically, that's actually helped women and protected women. Yeah. Um, abortion has a long heritage of destroying female bodies, mm -hmm. not just the woman having the abortion, but it's destroying the female baby mm -hmm. and the rights that that female baby's body has. Yeah. And so we want to stand against that. All of this to say, Often the scripture is said to be oppressive to women. And there are a lot of things. And we, we, there are some passages that we do need to, to talk through that describe the distinctions between men and women and how God wants to empower each to operate in, in their own unique, distinct, beautiful ways within marriage, within church, within um, and beyond. And so we, we want to talk about those things. But we want to start by having a reset and refresh that the things that the Bible says about women are empowering so we can feel the freedom to look at that and read it and look at it mm. through those lenses. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, a helpful reminder because it, it does feel like as you examine history, the only way people know how to correct or fix wrongs is to create another wrong and put the yeah. oppressor for the oppressor and the abuser to switch seats yeah. is the only way to make things right. And uh, that's a helpful reminder of just the lie of the enemy um, and how he works uh, in that um, our world only knows how to deal with this topic uh, by, at least currently in our moment, of trying to, well, let's blur the lines between mm -hmm. if men and women are different at all. You know, yeah. there's, the, there's no differences at all. And what we see in Scripture is two things can be true at once. He made them male and female. And both are in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And there's beauty in the way that we help. And uh, like what you, you referenced, how a uh, woman came from man, but man is born of woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's uniqueness and beauty uh, to how God wired each uh, of the sexes. And, and so uh, just any closing thoughts before we wrap up and uh, finish up this podcast? Yeah, I would just say to the ladies that are listening and to the men, but particularly ladies, don't be afraid to look to the scripture to find empowerment. And then to the men, um, also to ladies, but specifically to the men, follow in the footsteps of Jesus and Paul and where you see a woman being oppressed or put down, whether it professionally or in your home or in your family or wherever, or your friend group, stand up and advocate because they are, they are your sisters made in the image of God. Yeah. That's well put. Well, we'll close on that. And uh, just as a reminder, as we wrap up, I'd encourage you to just check out Faith and Logic Volume 4, um, the previous two messages and the two coming up as we're going to be exploring mm -hmm. some important topics that are very closely related to this and really a furthering of this, of this discussion. So hope this was helpful to you. Uh, feel free to share it with someone you know that might benefit from this. But for now, we'll see you on the next episode of the City Rev Life podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the City Rev Life podcast. Feel free to subscribe and leave a rate and review. And we love it when you share it with your friends on social media. So don't forget to tag us at cityrev.church. If you're interested in more resources, download our City Rev Church app and follow us on social media. Thank you so much and have a great day.